It's useless. This sound system would be useless without power. May I say to you that no matter how sophisticated you might think yourself to be as a Christian, without the power of God, you are useless. If you have your Bibles open in Colossians still, we are going to be talking about living on higher ground this morning. And uh, just briefly look at what the Lord would have to say to us. And as we do, as we begin, I just would like for us to bow for prayer one more time. Father, we come to you this uh, morning once again, and we ask, Lord, for your blessing upon your word. Bless your servant, dear Lord. I pray you help me to bring a message to, to the people here today so that they could he- say at the, at the end of the, at the, of the service that they have heard from you. Lord, I am weak, I'm feeble, but I know that you are strong. And we want you, Lord, to work in our hearts today. And if there's anybody here who as yet needs to trust Christ implicitly as their, as their exclusive and only Savior, I pray that you bless that heart and work in, the, in their hearts, dear Lord. And for us who are saved, that we may be drawn closer to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The passage that was read earlier on, obviously, is an epistle written by Paul to the church at Colossae, or Colossae. I don't know how you pronounce that word exactly, but it was a church that wasn't started by Paul personally. In fact, we don't know exactly who started this church, but there are suggestions that it was Epaphras, and perhaps he teamed up with Philemon, and that it was started in the house of Philemon. What we know, however, is that Paul never got to meet these people personally, face-to-face. However, because of his communication with Epaphras, and it was Epaphras who reported to him the issues that they were dealing with in that church, the Lord led him to write this epistle. The church at Colossae was dealing with three major problems that were brought about by uh, people who tried to muddy the water, if you like, to confuse the situation in the church. There was a problem of legalism, people who still were trying to adhere to the Levitical practices, and Pastor mentioned that a little bit today, that it's going to be restored in time, but there was a time when the Lord gave instructions in the book of Leviticus to the nation of Israel while they were in the wilderness on how they could approach God, the form in which they were supposed to bring offerings before God so so that their sins could be atoned for. However, all of that came to, if you like, uh, oblivion when Christ came, because according to the book of Hebrews, he became the once for all sacrifice for all mankind. However, there were people in that church who were trying to marry, if you like, grace with the law, uh, and, and, and imposing, if you like, the practice of circumcision for the people of Colossae. And so Paul says, you know what, we have another circumcision that is of the heart. It's spiritual. Because what you're trying to introduce is something physical that could not alter the state of your spiritual condition. On the other hand, he had people who were Gnostics, who were trying to circumnavigate, if you like, to bypass the Word of God by saying, you know what, we, we can approach a, a higher state of, of consciousness and morality without going through the strict teachings of the Bible. We don't even have to approach God through Jesus Christ because obviously these Gnostics did not believe that Jesus Christ is God. The Gnostics believed that anything 
matter could not be God. Because anything that is matter is sinful. And so therefore, they just would like to approach God through the angels. They had angel worship and all kinds of other forms of worship that is mystical, mysticism. Instead of legalism, they went the other way, which is mysticism. And on the, on the farther end, combining some elements of these two were the ascetics, if you like. People who said, you know what, uh, we need to uh, make sure that we afflict our bodies. No food, no hygiene, close ourselves up against the influences of this world, and severe self-denial was their code, and ascetism was introduced. And so all of these things were causing a problem in the church of Colossae, and so Paul writes to them and says, you know what, we need to rise above all these things. Now, back in the times when the settlers were coming to North America, it was found out that the early settlers would ask every time they bought a piece of property whether or not this piece of land was above the snake line. There was a horizontal line, and I didn't know this prior, that there's a horizontal line above which snakes could not survive. And so the farmers or the settlers would say, if this is above the snake line, then we can both plant our crops and raise our families because they would not want to raise their families where there are snakes, rattlesnakes, copperheads, whatever you have it. And so that was a key element in the negotiation when they bought property. I want us to understand, however, that just as there was an invisible line above which snakes could not survive, spiritually speaking, there also is a line invisible but it's very real about which God would like us to live. There's a level of life available to God's children that allows them to live lives that are holy, pleasing to the Lord, and free from the problems that cause, as the Bible says, the way of the transgressor to be hard. So this morning, I'd like for us to understand that God wants us to live on higher ground. That song or that hymn was written by a young hymn writer back in the day, and we don't know exactly the circumstances as to why that song was written. But I like the words of that song where it says, I'm pressing on the upward way. New heights I am gaining every day. There's a desire in the heart of every child of God to live above, if you like, the complications of a sinful, sin-cursed world. And I'm glad today that there's a reality that we can claim. We find in verses 12 to 14 the realities of the higher ground. Paul reminds his Christians in Colossae today, as it says in verse 12, giving thanks unto the Father which hath made us meet to be partakers of the, of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. I'd like for you to, to take note of the, the tenses that were used here. These are not future tense verbs. These are present tense verbs. The Lord is saying, we have it already. If you're a child of God, you have this higher ground available to you already. We need to be reminded that when we were born physically, natural, naturally, we were born in the lowlands of sin, below the snake line, if you like. We are born, as the Bible says, 
with a sin nature, and we are reminded in Romans 3.23 that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In Ephesians 2, we are told that we are dead in trespasses and sins. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 2, we walk according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. And we had, according to verse 3, our conversation in time past in the loss of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh, of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. So that was our natural state, but thank be to God, because there was a time when you and I, those who are saved here today, came to the understanding that we were lost beyond hope, and there was nothing we can do in the physical sense to change and alter our, our spiritual condition. But praise be to God because he reached down by his grace. And the Bible says, for by grace are you saved through faith. So when a person then comes to the saving grace of the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation, he is lifted out, out of the valley of sin and is set on a high place in Jesus Christ. In fact, we are promised, according to Colossians chapter 3, that our life is hid with Christ in God. And in Ephesians, we are, set, we are told that we are now seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Our position changed, spiritually speaking, while our natural state on earth did not change. Your address did not change when you got saved. Your house did not change when you got saved. Your body did not change when you got saved. But there's something that changed. Your spiritual position changed. Because immediately, as soon as you got saved, the Bible says, you were seated in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. It is a natural, it is a spiritual reality that is not waiting to happen until you die. It is a reality that you now possess as, as a child of God. You know what the Bible says? Even though you're sitting here right now on 78th Avenue, Surrey, British Columbia, on the 18th of September 2022, you're here. But in the sight of God, you are already seated in heavenly places if you're saved today. And that's a blessing, isn't it? Now let's look at what we are told here. In verse 12, God is our Father. When a sinner comes to the Lord Jesus Christ, he becomes a child of God, adopted into the family of God, according to Romans 8.15. The Bible says we have been, meet, uh, we have been made meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. That's another reality. You have been given a new nature. Some, someone asked me before, what happens when you get saved? Do you lose all of your desires for anything earthly? I say no, because when I got, before I got saved, I liked bagoong, salted fish. I was going to say McDonald's. We didn't have McDonald's when I, I was growing up. I grew up in the Whoop Whoop. I grew up in the, on an island so remote that uh, every time a vehicle managed to cross the channel onto our island, all us children would chase that vehicle around as if it was a new animal. And because the road is dusty, by the time we get done chasing that vehicle, we would have blonde hair. That's how we call it bariotic. That's how provincial we were. It's amazing, though, that the grace of God managed to cut through all the remoteness and find and found people that wanted the Lord Jesus Christ to be their Savior. Nothing changed as far as the appetites of the flesh were concerned, but something happened 
that is not available to a person that rejects Christ as their Savior. A new nature was created within. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. All of a sudden, there's this, this desire to know God. All of a sudden, there's this desire to read the Bible. And all of a sudden, there was this ability to understand what God is saying in Scriptures. Because we have been made to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. Verse 13 says we have been delivered. You see, like, the Bible is not saying we shall be, but we have been. Who, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness. Sin and Satan no longer have any power over us. You see, if you want to understand the difference between a, a saved person and an unsaved person, it is this. The unsaved person operates solely and exclusively under the influence of his flesh, governed by sinful tendencies. That's all he knows. When he commits sin, it makes no difference. His conscience might bother him for a while, but eventually the conscience is seared, and he would have no problems committing sin over and over again. On the other hand, a child of God, because he's been translated into a new kingdom, he's been delivered, if you like, from the, dark, the power of darkness, he has this ability now to resist the demands or desires of the flesh because there's something operating within him that's new and different. Verse 14 says we have redemption through his blood. The word redemption means here is to buy somebody that is under um, a hostage situation. Someone who has been kidnapped. The ransom has been paid so they are set free. I'm, I, thank, I thank God that the blood of Jesus Christ was enough to pay for my redemption. Sin no longer has me as a slave or a hostage. I am set free. We have the forgiveness of sin. I believe this is a biggie. Verse 14 says, we have the forgiveness of sin. We as a human race obviously have a problem forgiving others when they wrong us. You know, I, I always joke about this, but especially... Uh, the wives that are present here today. And most men would agree um, when a conflict arises, there's a tendency for your wife to remind you that a hundred years ago you said this. And they could not forget. But you said it, and no matter how many times you've said, I'm sorry, I was wrong, I take it back, they keep it anyways, right? But isn't it wonderful that we, when we come before God, our Father, face to face, and even right now, he promises your sins, he remembers no more. That's a present reality. And so therefore, because of that, he says in chapter 3 and verse 1, seek those things which are above. If you didn't be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of the throne of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. In other words, God says, seek, seek rather to live on higher ground. We, are, we see that there are privileges. Not only is there a reality, but there are privileges afforded us on higher ground. We find in verse 9, the Bible says, For this cause also since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you, and to desire that ye might be filled with knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all, pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Those who have been saved by grace and placed on higher ground understand the difference between the new life that they now have 
given by the Lord Jesus Christ and the old life they used to live. Here we find that we have available to us knowledge, and we can be completely filled with that, with that knowledge. Here we can know the will of God, that which, is, that which he has decreed. We can have the wisdom of God. We can have spiritual understanding. This verse teaches us that the redeemed have been given the ability to know deep spiritual truth, even though the Bible says in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 2 that eyes have not seen nor ear heard the things that God has prepared for them who believe or who would come to Christ. Because a man might have the, the, the intellectual ability to understand, if you like, the background of every book of this Bible. They might understand this academically. They might use it for, as, as a textbook for their religious education. But if they are not born again, they would never understand the deep things that God would have for the people of God. But it's something that you and I have a privilege of having. That understanding of God in a deeper sense. So we find that since that is reality, those, therefore, that are truly born again children of God, because of the reality of the knowledge that they have possessed, that they can possess in Christ, are able to prove their salvation through their obedience, by their holiness, by their love, and by their works. We find that Jesus Christ said in John 15, 5, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit, for without me ye can do nothing. And here is my Father glorified, he says, that ye, may, ye bear much fruit. And this is what we are told here in verse 10, that ye walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work. And this is also a privilege we have that we can be fruitful when you talk about the vine that the Lord was talking about in John 15, he says there are two branches. There's a type of branch that is fruit-bearing, and there's a, another type of branch that is not fruit-bearing. I, I researched this to find out what it was talking about. Apparently, there are, in any vineyard, suckers that might come from the ground, they might draw power or, or life from the same root system, but are not attached to the one vine. And they might intertwine themselves with that particular vine, and from, the, from a distance, the untrained eye might think that's actually part of the vine, but it's not. And it is interesting to know that John 15 comes just a few chapters after the Lord exposed Judas Iscariot. As one who has intertwined himself with the disciples. He lived with them, he walked with them, he talked with them. In fact, they trusted him with the money. And nobody opposed when a business meeting was conducted to decide who was going to be the treasurer of that small church of 12 people. Judas was it, and they trusted him. Why? Because from the outside looking in, he looked every, every much like any of the disciples. But the Lord says, you know what? Without him, there's no way that a man like Judas could bring forth fruit. But anybody who is a branch of that one vine has the capacity to bring forth fruit. But here it is the Father glorified that every branch brings forth much fruit. But I thank God I have the privilege today. It is possible for you and I. I was told the story or rather, I read a story of a little girl 
who one day stopped to examine the flowers in her mother's garden. And she said, Mom, I know why flowers grow. And the mother said, well, why? Explain to me. And the little girl said, they just want to get out of the dirt. When we talk about the reality and the privilege of being a child of God and knowing him personally and living on higher ground, we need to understand that the reason why God wants us to live on higher ground is so that we might get out of the dirt. We live in a world that's full of dirt. Misery, brokenness. This world is broken. And the more that people try to get away from this world by using their religion, their own goodness, their education, whatever other human means, the further, the further they try to get away, the harder they land back into it, frustrated, more broken, sad, without joy, without peace. The only way out of a world like this is by the way of the cross, back to the original design of God for human, the human race. We are created, after all, and we'll look, about, uh, look at that in just a little while, by him, for him. Man trying to look for his own sustenance and for his own satisfaction in other ways, through other means, will never get there, not by legalism, not by mysticism, and not by asceticism. In other words, we always, when we are back wallowing in the mud of the lowlands, find ourselves there because of choice. But God is giving us a choice today to to rise above and desire to have our feet planted on higher ground. We find that not only do we have this reality and have the privileges But we have to us available the power because I believe one of the questions we might ask is this, how do I then live on higher ground? How could I be successful as a Christian? How could I live a victorious Christian life? I want us to understand we could not do it. Just like we are not saved by any works that we have committed, there's nothing we can do to alter our spiritual condition before a holy God. It was only by His grace through faith in Christ alone, through Christ alone, that we are saved today. Living the Christian life is pretty much the same way. By faith in Christ, through Christ alone, because the Apostle Paul says to the Philippians, I can do all things through what? Through Christ. To the Galatians, he says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The only way we could live on higher ground is by his power. Let me illustrate. I like your microphones. I was speaking to uh, Brother uh, Deviant earlier on because I'm looking to upgrade our sound system. You know that there's a Bible college somewhere in the United States, and I'm not going to mention names that I read earlier on, years ago, that they upgraded their sound equipment to the tune of 70 million U.S. dollars. Seven zero million U.S. dollars. I, can, I cannot even imagine. I can't even fathom. 70 million dollars. Let's just dress it down. Let's just say, for instance, this church decides to upgrade the sound system to $70,000. 70000 $70, did you know that it doesn't matter how expensive your sound system is? 
if all of a sudden, one Sunday you turn up to church and there's no power? You know what that would sound like? It would sound like this. Makes no use. It's useless. This sound system would be useless without power. May I say to you that no matter how sophisticated you might think yourself to be as a Christian, without the power of God, you are useless. And this is where I would like for us to see how the rubber meets the road. Because the Bible says here in verse 11, we are strengthened with all might according to his glorious power unto all patience and longsuffering with joyfulness. We're talking about living on higher ground here. We need to understand one thing. That instead of focusing on legalism, mysticism, or ascetism as a philosophy, and by the way, in the book of Colossians, Paul says to them, beware lest you be spoiled by philosophy and tradition through the rudiments of this world. Uh, I did not quote that verbatim. I know that he says that here in chapter 2, in verse 8, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the, after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. Now the word rudiments here is the word fundamental. Fundamental. Fundamentally humanistic or human methodology or ideals or philosophy. He says, beware that those things spoil you. Tradition, philosophy. He says, don't, don't, make sure you don't, you don't live your life or run your ministry according to human tradition or human philosophy. And here's how it works. And I've seen this as I've been saved for a while now, I've been preaching for a while now, that there's a tendency for churches to go through tradition. The only way, and the, only, the only reason why things are done is because of tradition. But then there are those who reject that tradition and they want to distance themselves from that tradition. They go the other way and they say philosophy is what we need. We need to understand that there's a culture that we need to reach. We need to be culturally relevant. We need to capture that culture. Now all these things might sound nice depending on what your background is, but the Lord says that's rudiments of the world. That is geared towards human psyche or understanding. God says, let's make sure that Christ is the center of everything we do. Now, don't be afraid, by the way, of certain traditions that are good. We have some traditions that we want to keep because they find themselves firmly established in the Word of God. Though not taught specifically as so, however, I find that there are some traditions that are so important that we should not let them go because, may I say this, let me give you another example or illustration. When it comes to our life living on higher ground, the, the most important thing is our relationship with God, right? When, when, when the nation of Israel was restored after 70 years of Babylonian captivity, was, what was the first thing that the Lord told them to restore? It was a temple. That talks about their worship, their relationship with God, their communion with God. That's the most important thing. But then, 50 years later, they were still not able to worship God properly in freedom and peace because the walls are down. What does that mean, Pastor? Well, the walls need to be up so that they can protect themselves from the enemies. Two things that I see as I apply that in my Christian life. 
we need to have convictions. That's a temple. Deep convictions that are found in the Word of God, personally, established in our own hearts. If there was a time in my life as a Christian growing up in a preacher's home when I had to come face to face, to face with God and, say, and I said, Lord, help me to understand who you truly are in my life. Remember the song that says, uh, give me the old-time religion? If it was good enough for my father, it's good enough for me. Well, young people, that's not going to cut it. It should be good enough for you just because you see it in the scriptures. It doesn't matter what your father believes. You have to come to a point in your life where you say, you are my God, not just my father's God. That's personal conviction. But your conviction can be protected and should be protected by standards. That's the wall. There's the one way that we can live on higher ground and not be affected by the opposing forces of this world is to build ourselves firmly on the word of God, convicted that Christ is who he is, says he is. He has the power to enable us according to his power. The Bible says glorious power unto all patience and long-suffering with joyfulness. There are so many things here that we can unpack. But his power is demonstrated in two ways. Go to verses Uh, 16 onwards, 15. He says, Who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature? He talks about his power of creation. For by him were all things created and uh, that are in heaven and that are in the earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. There is no other power greater than the power of God to create something out of nothing. He spoke the word, the words, and the worlds came into existence. But not only that, we find that he, is, he has the power of resurrection. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that speaks about his power of resurrection. He is the first one to rise from the grave by his own power. In Sunday school, Pastor Tim was talking about the crossing of the Red Sea. Old Testament writers always used the crossing of the Red Sea, the parting of the Red Sea, as a mark, if you like, as a benchmark of God's revelation of his power. You come to the New Testament, the one thing that the New Testament writers always talked about as the greatest demonstration of God's power is the resurrection of Christ. That's why Paul says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Because there's something about the resurrection that changes lives. And since that is real and since that is true, God says you can rise above the adversities of life and live in victory. And here's the deal. One illustration. I've got two more, two more illustrations and we're done. I read about a pilot in World War II who took off from one of the Pacific Islands one early morning. A little while after takeoff, he heard a scratching noise coming from between the walls of the fuselage of his plane. He soon realized that there was a rat scratching, gnawing, biting. He knew that it was possible that this rat could bite into one of the hydraulic hoses or cable that fed one of his communication devices or a cable that helped him control one of the flaps. He had no choice but to kill this rat, but he could not leave his cockpit to look for that rat. So there was only one way he could kill it. And for those who are 
technically minded, and I'm pretty sure Pastor knows the solution, what is, your, what is your suggestion? What do you think he had to do? Those in university, some of you who are intelligent people, what do you think he had to do to kill this rat? Anyone? Any suggestions? Are you awake? <laughs> he had to point the nose of that plane towards the sun, S-U-N, and go as high as he possibly could. And as he went higher and higher and higher, where the, where the, the air became so dense, the oxygen became so little, that he deprived that rat of oxygen and it died. In Colossians chapter 3, the Bible, the Bible says, Mortify therefore the deeds of this flesh. Though how do you mortify the deeds of this flesh? By the power of the Son of God. Not by ascetism, not by inflicting pain upon your own body, not by denying yourself of food. Obviously, there are th- some things that we need, to, uh, we need to avoid, but the only way we can avoid those is to, to deprive this flesh of oxygen. We might point ourselves, or we must point our bodies, our souls rather, our hearts towards the S-O-N and get as close as we can to the Lord Jesus Christ because the closer we get to Him, as the, as the song says, look um, What's the song again? Look unto Jesus. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full into his marvelous face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. There are no shortcuts. There are no methods human. There are no physical things that you can do to to change the desires of your flesh. The one thing you can do is to desire Christ more. One more illustration and we're done. We find there's a story of two boys that were playing around some cliffs by the seashore in Nova Scotia. I think that's somewhere in Canada, right? On a ledge of one of those cliffs, they found a nest containing some baby eagles. They took one home and placed it with one of their hens and her chicks. Sure enough, this little eaglet walked around with his chicks for a little while, but it eventually... It grew, it grew bigger. It had a different type of feather. It walked a little differently than the, the others. It sounded a little differently than the others. Eventually, it, it began to feel disgusted by the way that chickens were feeding themselves by scratching the, the dirt, looking for bugs and whatever else it could find on, on the ground, and this eagle could not stand it anymore. But one day, as they were walking around, he heard a noise that he understood. A language he understood. There were eagles flying overhead. They said, these are my people. I'm not supposed to be with them. I'm supposed to be up there with them. He's never flew, flew, uh, he has never flown before. So that day, he managed to somehow stretch his wings and flap them around. Sure, he fumbled, tumbled, and flopped around for a little while, but then eventually he learned what it means to fly. Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 31 says, Let it wait upon the Lord. Let it rest in the Lord. Let it trust in the Lord. They that depend wholly on the Lord Jesus Christ shall mount up with wings as eagles. The Lord never described his children as chickens or ducks for that matter. We're not designed to walk around in mud and look for bugs. Our design as God's people is to man up with wings as eagles rise above the adversities of this worldly life. Get closer to God and the closer we get to Him, 
the more we experience the joy and peace that passes all understanding. And through that, we can demonstrate to a lost world. And it doesn't matter what they think of us, by the way. And I believe one of the reasons that many Christians find themselves wallowing in the mud again is because they, uh, they tend to be drawn back to the demands and the desire to please a world that is anti-God after all. Give you one more story. I lied. I said one more illustration and we're done. One more little story, and this is cute. We have a young little young child in our in our church in Sydney. His name is Kyle, three years old. He speaks so well that every Sunday morning I'd be sitting on the platform. He would come up to me and he says, "Pastor Sherwin, how are you?" That's how he speaks. Little child. I said, "I'm I'm fine. How are you, Kyle?" He says, "I'm weird." <laughs> I guess the sisters told him he's weird, so he says. He's weird. I said, yeah, I think you are. <laughs> Last Sunday, though, he came. I saw him sitting on the pew with his father, and he had a bow tie. And I said, Kyle, I like your bow tie. He came up to the flat- platform. He hugged me. And I said, Pastor, see, look. He raised his sweater, and he has a sus- suspender. And I said, Kyle, you're no longer weird. You are trendy. <laughs> then I'm reminded, the Bible says, we are a peculiar people. People... Th- the world think of us as weird in a ways. But the problem is sometimes we want to be trendy. We want to appeal to them. We don't want to be left out. We don't, want to, we don't want to appear weird because we don't want to be ostracized. We need to understand one thing. We are eagles, not chickens. We need to live on higher ground. We, we should not appeal to a, lost, to a world. Rather, we should not try and gain the approval of a world that is lost, we must go to a lost world to try and rescue the perishing, bring them to Jesus, and help them to live on higher ground. Help them understand it is joyful up here. It's a blessing to know we belong to Christ and we can walk with Him. Thank you for watching the message today. We invite you to join us again every Sunday and Wednesday for more inspiring messages from God's Word.